1: Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke.
0: Hello, Garrett. When last we left you, we were about to read uh, a John C. Bennett affidavit, or one of his many affidavits, or
1: affid... Yeah, the the (laughs) affidoy. Maybe it goes into a kind of a French... Plurality.
0: We we are we are going to get back to that, but we wanted to start off with a couple of emails if we could.
1: We ran we you know, we were just running a little long and my my hatred for John C. Bennett and all things Missouri kind of it it sends me into a into a kind of a tailspin. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we, what started as Apostles and uh, Apostates Part Two turned into Why I Hate John C Bennett Part Part Eleven. <laughs> That's right. So this first email uh, comes to us uh, from Anthony. Uh, To the good Dr. Dirk Mott and the ever-entertaining Professor LeDuc, much like your podcast, my explanation is lengthy with only asking one simple question. By the way, Anthony, we're not going to get to your question. Yeah.
1: In fact, we'll never answer your question. I don't even know what it is yet, but I know we won't answer it.
0: I do know what it is, and I know we won't get to it. See,
1: that's... That's why Richard and I are friends.
0: I stumbled over your podcast a few months ago and I've listened to all the free episodes hoping to find something worth paying for the premium content. Wow. Still looking. Whoa. Thank you for sharing your talents and insights for listening. Uh, Apparently no talents. (laughs) I've gathered, well, just nothing worth giving money for. I've gathered that we are from the same generation. And we have a lot of same gospel experiences. I served my mission in Southern California, ninety nine to two thousand one. Just like you, very nice. I was ninety eight was to two thousand. He, he in Riverside, he was not. He was in uh, the San Diego mission. So, Ooh, so heaven. So people would live in my mission because it was cheaper, and they would visit his mission for recreation, work, whatever. So, I was about an hour from uh, from Temecula, uh, Murrieta, where I served. Uh, yeah, San Diego's beautiful. While there, I had the humbling privilege and honor of teaching and watching an investigator from Wisconsin be baptized. Okay. He, he no, was no, he was golden.
1: No. I'm throwing the flag. Okay, fifteen yards. Uh, it, this person's name Anthony? Is that? Yeah, Anthony. Anthony. Why do you lie? What <laughs> why why do you why do you try to send to this podcast? The lies that you just so, well, so much lies.
0: Well, so but here's here's where there might be some truth. He said we even had to reschedule a discussion for his baptism uh, because the Packers were in town playing the Chargers. So that probably rings true. Wow. How many times did did you would go tracting? It was literally on Sundays. Only you could do right on Sundays. Yep. Yep. Packer games. How how were you
1: received? Uh, n- not well. <laughs> Um, You know what's funny, actually? At first, when you knocked on the door, everybody simply assumed that it was either an emergency, like one of you had fallen off your bike and your leg was behind your head, you know, or that you didn't know when the game was. Because people in Wisconsin are really, really, really nice until you try to talk to them about (laughs) God. So if you want to ask them, you know, hey, what's the best way to fit your groceries into a bag? Except you'd say big. <laughs> They're super nice about that. Like, hey, what do you think the best way to fit my groceries into this bag is? Oh, oh, I'll show you. Fine. If if you try to talk to them about Jesus, that's completely different. Then they turn on you. They also turn on you when it comes to the Packers. Um <clears throat> So most commonly, when we tried very hard to not be knocking on doors during a Packer game. But also, we're not allowed to read the paper and we didn't have cell phones. So how in the world do we know when a Packer game is, right? Like, we know, well, it's Sunday. If it's an early game, this is going to be bad, you know. So we would, we, you know, people were like, well, why didn't you just go to members' houses for dinner during that time? Uh-huh. Yeah. I like how you said both members' houses and the word dinner, it, it, as though those things were going on. You could have, why did not you do some street contacting? Oh, yes, yeah. Lots of people walking around the street of Green Bay. You know, it's it's January, just all kinds of people out. There's literally nothing you can do to share the gospel in Wisconsin. I'm not even going to say tracking. <laughs> There's just nothing you could do. But we would have people... You'd you knock on the door, and if the Packers were playing, they actually were very solicitous towards you. They were like, like, oh, hey, hey, guys, uh, you, you know, it's a late game today, right? Like, like it was. It, it, I know you probably thought it was a Monday night. No, it, it's tonight. You know, but they would they would assume the only reason we'd be knocking on anyone's door during a game is that we didn't know when the game started. That That's the only rational reason why. And then when they found out that we were there intentionally, mm-hmm. then they, you know, told us that my parents were never married and then slammed the door. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Going on to <laughs> Anthony's email. So uh, that maybe, maybe
0: then. Maybe. We, yeah. The, the Packer thing brought you back that it, it might be true. brought me back
1: that maybe that's evidence. That's an affidavit. <laughs>
0: I too had found and enjoyed Truman G. Madsen's CD collection of lectures on the Prophet Joseph Smith and loved how he put into context the stories and history of the early church, much like you two, only better.
1: Wow, Anthony hates us. By the way, but... There, sure. That's true. Yeah, that's I mean, better, get out of yeah. here. The tr- if you
0: haven't, stop listening right now and go get those. They're
1: all available on,
0: on YouTube.
1: Oh, you that's our those. marketing campaign is stop listening to this right and now. And go listen to anything yeah. G. Madsen's ever I'm pretty done. pretty sure Rex's elder scorn president's already stopped.
0: Um, along with this, President Hinckley, President Faust, Elder Maxwell, a good story of Jay Golden, and the pure heart of Porter Rock- Rockwell show us the Lord uses men from all walks of life to build Zion. No matter their background or weakness, they continue to, uh, to testify of the continuing restoration. Okay, down to my reason for the unnecessary long email. And then he goes on to ask a question. Um, we're not going to get to it. It's, uh, it's a question about the succession crisis. So we just wanted to read the positive part of the email, as positive, I guess, as that email yeah, was. Yeah, the email
1: saying, hey, I... I, I don't think you guys have good enough stuff for anyone to pay for. And by the way, you do it worse than most other people. That's right.
0: Well, do it worse than one of the best that ever did it. <laughs> so he is know. better than us. Um, but we we are going to do a series of uh, episodes on the succession crisis. We'll never do that. But not 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 this week. Uh, but yeah. so we will be getting to that. Eventually. We have uh, one other email here uh, to read. Uh, I am in Missouri as a subject line. In August, I'll be holding my grandma hostage on a three-day drive from Ohio to Utah. Mm. I don't know if it's possible... But if there could be a few episodes about the violence in Missouri, I want her to be able to hear it and really let it sink in while we drive the path that the pioneers took.
1: Well, she, she got a little bit of that from our last episode. Yes,
0: so a little bit from that. A little background. My mom joined the church when she was 19. My dad was her friend from work, baptized her, left on a mission, and two years later they were married. My grandma took the discussions Uh 25 plus years ago. And while my brother and I were both on our missions, we challenged her to read the Book of Mormon and pray about it. She made it three chapters both times. Now, Garrett and I talked about this. Is it possible, Leah, that you had her start in 2 Nephi 12? Right. Like, that's like you just had her start in a dead
1: center <laughs> of the Isaiah chapter. <laughs> well, the very beginning, yeah. really. Yeah.
0: And so, I mean, and the reason I say that is because when I read the Book of Mormon, I start in 4 Nephi. When I when I start reading, interesting, start in 4th Nephi because I start with essentially them killing and eating people, and then I end the Book of Mormon with Jesus coming. And right. so I want to end, like, you know, it just changes my uh, my perspective a little bit in reading the Book of Mormon to have it, instead of ending tragically and terrible, it ends on a high note.
1: But you're suggesting that Leah is having her grandma start on 2nd Nephi Second chapter 12. Nephi, just like, hey, no, look, we've got Bible stuff in here. <laughs> no no there's bible stuff there's bible yeah, stuff Yeah 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 and then she makes
0: it three chapters and then Yeah
1: and then and she's the, like so. because the daughters of Zion are haughty
0: <laughs> Anyways it's possible that that might not be your grandma's fault cuz if you have her starting there we we don't we don't blame her I want her to hear the history about Missouri and the martyrdom I am a premium content junkie Oh jeez oh, well, I should oh, have wow. treated this with more respect
1: Why didn't we read Leah's first and Anthony <laughs> of I'm not willing to pay for anything Never. you guys put out ever <laughs>
0: Uh, premium Content Junkie, look forward to all you and Sultan Leduc. Well I, get, <laughs> well, I guess you and Dirk Moss, because you're the one reading the emails, have planned. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Leah. Well, wow. so we are going to talk can. a little bit more about some of the things that go on in Missouri as we get back to the... Uh, apostles and pos, uh, apostates, but not yet because we're about to talk about bogs right. for a second episode. Well,
1: speaking of succession, I mean, if we follow the apostles and apostates far enough, we'll get up to where some of them are apostatizing because of the succession.
0: Well, there, I mean, we, we've received probably 20 plus emails about succession. So we really do need to yeah, we just get there eventually. Yeah,
1: we don't like to give people what they want. <laughs> we like to give them what they need. And what they need is us not answering their question. That's right. What they need is an entirely unnecessary, too long of an introduction. Yeah. Yep. Well, you just got that. We just gave that to you. But yes, we are going to talk about, first, the affidavit that John C. Bennett uh, swears out. Um, This is, again, after he's been excommunicated for numerous adulteries. After he has admitted to these publicly. After he's actually sworn to his uh, his crimes.
0: Do we know how many uh, adulterous affairs? Uh,
1: we don't know exactly how many. Now, is, what,
0: it, is it like LeBron James in Miami? Not one, not two, not yeah, three? Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, um, the number of championships? I mean, gonna maybe win? it might be if we're going to use an NBA player, it might be closer to Will Chamberlain. <laughs> if, we're using a, if we're using a kind of, uh, you know. All, I was just doing the, the when they yeah.
0: the, their press conference, how many championships are going to win? You know, not one, not two. The very, one, the very interesting two, thing about
1: John C. Bennett is he spends – the next several years claiming that he that he was excommunicated on totally trumped up false charges, right? That he was excommunicated because he caught them doing that, and that's why they excommunicated him, to keep him, you know, hush him up, basically. So he actually denies for years that he committed adultery at all, and yet I know that he's lying. And I know that he's lying because John C. Bennett will later say, okay, yeah, I did have an affair but they were guilty of worse things. So after years of saying, I there were no affairs at all, he then in a public meeting in Massachusetts, actually, I believe, um, says, okay, I was involved with a fair princess of Nauvoo. So
0: here's the problem, though, is that your evidence that he's lying is him saying that he's lying, which may very well be evidence that he wasn't lying. so,
1: So it's possible that he lies so much that even when he lies about himself lying, that he's somehow telling the truth about the fact that he never lied because he was lying about the truth? That's exactly what I'm saying. I think that we need to get into this and examine it further. But first, the affidavit. Um, and this is the Justice of the Peace writing this down, personally appeared before me, Samuel Marshall. A Justice of the Peace in and for said county, John C. Bennett, who being duly sworn according to the law, deposeth saith that on the 5th of July, 1842, at the house of Mr. Hamilton in Carthage, Mr. Orrin Porter Rockwell came to him with a desire to private interview, to which the deponent replied that if he, Rockwell, had anything to say, he could speak it out in front of the gentleman present. Rockwell said that it was a private matter, which interested them only. The deponent went out with him. I like again, Bennett, even in his own affidavit, I was too honorable to say that we could speak privately about something like that. And then he said, Yeah, but it is private. Okay, so I went out with him. Yeah, great, great principles. <laughs> uh, Rockwell said, Doctor, you do not know your friends. I'm not your enemy, and I do not wish that you use make my use make use of my name in your publications.
0: You said that like a stereotypical Italian guy on a pizza box. Yeah, a, uh, a, you a make a my,
1: a make a mite yeah, I, and you can come get our. Fresh breadsticks as well. I sometimes I have hard time with words and forming them together to make sentences. Well,
0: you see me poorly read emails every week. I I I feel your pain on that.
1: Yeah, Deponent replied that he recognized Joe Smith and all his friends as his personal enemies. To which Rockwell replied, I have been informed by Warner and Davis that you and Smith gave me $50 in a wagon for shooting bogs, and that I can and will whip any man that will tell such a cursed lie. Did you say so or not? After looking at him for a moment or two, the deponent said, I never said so, sir, but I did say, and I now say to your face that you left Nauvoo about two months before the attempted assassination of Governor Boggs in Missouri and returned the day before the report of his assassination reached there. And that two persons in Nauvoo told me that you told them. Now, listen, listen to this affidavit. Two persons in Nauvoo told me that you told them that you had been to the upper part of the Missouri. I, I don't, at this point it'd be easier just to say Destructives.
0: That's why that's why he skips to it before.
1: Yeah. When he's not, you know, under oath Yeah, when he's under oath To which Rockwell replied Well, I was there And if I shot Boggs They have got to prove it I never did an act in my life That I was ashamed of And I do not fear to go anywhere That I have ever been For I have done nothing criminal Deponent replied Certainly they have got to prove it on you If you did shoot him I know nothing of what you did I was not there I only know the circumstances, and from them I draw up my own inferences, and the public will theirs. And now, sir, if either you or Joe Smith think that you can intimidate me by your threats, you are mistaken in your man. And I wish you to understand distinctly that I am opposed to Joe and his holy host. I shall tell the truth fearlessly, except for the year and a half that you stayed in the church after you knew he was going to try to assassinate him. But other than that, I will tell the truth fearlessly. And regardless of consequences, Rockwell replied, if you say that Joe Smith gave me $50, so I already know that, uh, I already know he's not quoting, Porter Rockwell never referred to Joseph Smith as Joe, ever. But you know, here apparently he is. If you say that Joe Smith gave me $50 in a wagon to shoot box, I can whip you and I will do it in any crowd.
0: I thought he offered him 500
1: I know, it's funny. I mean, maybe he just said... You're shortchanging his buddy? Yeah, well, he's just like, you know what, 10%. It's tithing on it. (laughs) I'm going to tithe it. By
0: the way, what's worse than hearsay? Is there something worse than hearsay? Well, that's not a disability. It's any
1: time Bennett talks. Okay. Whatever that that is. Okay. This.
0: Here's hearsay, and then below that is John C. Bennett.
1: Well, that's the funny part about affidavits, is that you, you realize whether an affidavit is sworn or not, it doesn't prove literally anything in the affidavit. That's why... They are generally not admissible because you have to be able to cross-examine the person. So that when they say things like, if you say that Joe Smith gave me $50, that the uh, other attorney can stop and say, so you're saying that Porter Rockwell used a derogatory term for Joseph Smith when he was talking to you. That's what you're saying. Because that's would demonstrate that you're kind of making this up. You know, anyway, um, why are you harping on what I have? I have not said this is what Bennett is saying. I have not told you where I. You wh- told you what I have said to your face. Uh, I have told you what I have said to your face, and in the presence of this gentleman, and you acknowledge the truth of all that I've said, and I shall say it again. And if you wish to fight, I am ready for you. I would have loved to see that. I would have paid pay-per-view prices. <laughs> Porter Rockwell versus John C. Bennett. Um, <laughs> I mean.
0: It's like an MTV claymation death match from the late 90s.
1: Dana White got nothing on that fight. I, I, you know what? My Celestial Kingdom, if I make it, what I want to see is Porter Rockwell fighting John C. Bennett. That's, that to me is Celestial Kingdom. In fact, you know what? I'm going to try to go now. Just because
0: you're trying to go to the celestial kingdom. Well, I wasn't
1: gonna go before. My plan before was that Angie's such a good person that maybe I could just get in.
0: She'll drag you there, but yeah,
1: kicking and screaming. Yeah, yeah. I expect Jesus to say something or the other, like, well, not for His sake, I guess, but for hers. And, and then, yeah, no. yeah, perfect. Oh, look, it's it's uh, Rockwell and Bennett. Yeah, Sunday, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday in the celestial kingdom. celestial well, <laughs> kingdom? Yeah, well, I mean, you have to go down and find. Yeah, find, so this is after the resurrection. Oh, clearly, <laughs> clearly. Well, I want them to have bodies so it can be a good fight. Uh, anyway,
0: hold on, hold on. Uh, now I actually want to watch a fight where they don't have bodies, <laughs> just two spirits just, duking just it out. <laughs> well,
1: I feel like I feel like Rex's elders court president is is pretty disappointed right now. Yeah. Uh, let me go back to something more serious, John C. Bennett's <laughs> affidavit filled with lies. Uh, Rockwell told the deponent, which is Bennett, that he had been accused wrongfully of wishing to assassinate him or being ordered by Joe Smith to do it, but the deponent said, I believe that Joe Smith ordered you to do it. I know that orders went from him to the Danites for that purpose. Rockwell said that Smith had never given him such orders, neither was it his intention, and further this deponent saith not. Uh, the justice of the peace that they uh, swear that affidavit out to is a man by the name of Samuel Marshall. Samuel Marshall is actually going to have a long history of anti-Mormonism as well. So not only is he, okay so sure he's a justice of the peace, he's not a friendly justice of the peace. In fact, this is... This is a little extra bonus for you. Okay, yeah. Yeah. We're going to take two episodes to answer this question. Samuel Marshall is the justice of the peace. He's in Carthage, who will actually assault Minor Deming, the sheriff of Hancock County. Yep. He assaults Minor Deming. Oh, friend of the show, Minor Deming. Friend of the show. He assaults Minor Deming and tries to strangle him and in that attempt to strangle him, Minor Deming will pull his gun and shoot him and kill him. And this is that same Samuel Marshall. So three years later, he's going to he's going to die uh, attempting to kill the non Latter Day Saint, Minor Deming. Yeah, sheriff. Who's, yeah, he's a Christian. He's not. He's not a Latter Day Saint at all. And but he's trying to do justice, like. Hey, you can't just burn down their houses, guys. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I mean, come on, you know. You can, so, uh, so Samuel Marshall clearly, clearly an objective justice of the peace, <laughs> someone who's willing to try to strangle someone uh, to death, and uh, to the point where he gets shot by the sheriff who he's trying to kill. Anyway, there's there's several affidavits that are in there, um, all sworn out to Samuel Marshall, and. All saying that, oh yeah, oh yeah, I was told. Here's the funny part. It was a secret. Nobody knew anything about it. There's a dozen people in Carthage who all just happened to overhear it. Yeah, yeah, it was a secret. Only the first presidency knew. And also all of these guys at this bar in Carthage also all know.
0: I'm picturing kind of in my mind a scene from Steel Magnolias, right? You've got uh, True V and Weezer Boudreaux with her... Dog tied up, tied I'm, up in the front. I'm a and, little
1: bit concerned that you, you know the the last names of some well, of the characters. My, it's one of
0: my wife's favorite movies. I've seen it a thousand times. But uh, this is how I, I mean, just I mean, you know, you've got uh, they've got um, y- your boy uh, Bennett. He's in there to get his hair done. Did and they're just talking about you know yeah. an upcoming wedding. So I says to Mabel. <laughs> so I says, says to Mabel. As so I says yeah. to Weezer, I says. And then, uh, and then, how about them daughters of Zion?
1: Yeah. Hey, have you guys tried to kill it? Any- hey, <laughs> has Joe Smith paid any of y'all to shoot a Missouri Governor lately? Oh, oh, I have. Oh, okay. So that's how you envision it. That's exactly how yeah. I envision well, it. Given- well, with
0: with uh, John C. Bennett's head in one of those uh- <laughs> hair dryer.
1: <laughs> you know what? He did have nice hair. That's From what the I'm telling you. That we saw. I mean, yeah. how else was he able to seduce so many women in Nauvoo? Personally appeared before me, Samuel Marshall, Justice of the Peace in said county, John H. Lawton, who being duly sworn according to law deposes, saith that on the fifth day of July, he came to where General John C. Bennett and Orrin Porter Rockwell were in conversation at at the house of Mr. Hamilton in Carthage and heard Rockwell say that he'd been up in Boggs' neighborhood and that if he shot Boggs, they had to prove it. So I'm getting the same thing, this, this. oh yeah, oh, and I even heard their conversations, hearsay on top of hearsay about a hearsay conversation. That is all part of this Boggs, you know, uh, imbroglio, right? So does Joseph Smith ever say, oh yes, Boggs is going to die a horrible death? You know, this actually matters because like anti-Mormon subreddits, they will... Oh they will gosh. say things like, oh, yeah, this is one of the failed prophecies of Joseph Smith. He, he prophesied that Boggs would die a horrible, violent death. Just what level of Protestant hell is anti-Mormon yeah. subreddit? It's like the ninth ring of Dante's. <laughs> it's combining
0: all of the bad of Protestant hell with all of the bad of Catholic hell into one subreddit. And
1: no purgatory. That's right. You're No, not no, you're pur- going no one's praying their way out of this. It's It's Calvin's hell. Yeah, and then when you've been there for ages. That's that's basically what it's like to read an anti-Mormon subreddit. The level of the level of animosity is just well, it people have had a bad day. Um if you're looking for the most unhappy people on earth and you know n- no one from, you know, the war zone in Ukraine is available, you could go there and you can get something slightly worse. Yeah, I mean, the, the bitterness is, is, is unbelievable, but, but they'll say things like on that. They'll say, you know, here's one of the failed prophecies of Joseph Smith because he prophesied that, that Boggs would die a violent death, and he didn't. He prophesied that a shadow would be over his grave, and, and there isn't one. And he prophesied that no grass would ever grow on Boggs' grave. Yeah. Now you'll find uh, no, uh, you can't find those prophecies anywhere. I, I always find it best when you're attacking a religion for being false to make up things about what that religion said and then prove that it never happened. It's It seems to be pretty effective. Now, um, that folklore that you're referencing, certainly people have repeated it. I've actually had multiple people ask me about it. Most of them, people who either serve their mission there or who are from there. Oh yeah, Joseph said that that there'd be a, a church spire that would would overshadow it. Now, I don't know exactly how to track down every part of where that comes from, but it, look, it's just, it's, it's sound practice that whenever someone says Joseph Smith said, you should be able to find where Joseph Smith said it, especially with the Joseph Smith Papers website. If there's something that's pretty specific that Joseph said, you should be able to go to the website, put it into the search. If no part of what he quote unquote said came up, that doesn't mean that there's not a record of it, but it means it's not something that he said in his life that was recorded in his life, right? Because it's not a contemporary document. Now, of course, you have thousands of documents where people are later saying oh yeah i was talking to joseph once and he said this so it still might be possible but i think really part of the the origination of this is there was a church news article in 1959 um that was entitled uh shadow of mormon chapel falls on grave of governor boggs don't worry it was they they used the word mormon back then it was okay so even though it's the church news, I'm not, I'm not reading this from the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, Shadow of Mormon Chapel Falls on the Grave of Governor Boggs, written by George I. Scott. And it's Napa, California. Time has given an ironical twist to a trying time in the history of the church. In the trouble-filled days of 1834 and 1839, when officials of Missouri... Um, threatened to exterminate the mormons if they did not leave their lands and homes the drastic measures were backed by governor lilburn w boggs and his subordinates the old settlers of missouri openly threatened that every man woman and child would be whipped and scourged if they did not leave the country mobbings followed troops were called into action against the church members by governor boggs the mormons finally left for nauvoo Following the martyrdom of their prophet Joseph Smith, the pioneers prepared for their great migration west. At about the same time, another Westerner headed west. He was Lilburn W. Boggs. He went to California in 1848 and became a member of the first constitutional convention of the state. Today, his grave is marked by a tombstone in a graveyard at Napa, California. On a hill overlooking the graveyard, and in view of the former governor's grave is the Santa Rosa Stake Tabernacle of the church that he ordered exterminated in Missouri. The tabernacle is headquarters for 4,231 Mormons in the Napa Valley and one of the 37 stakes in the state of California. So you can tell there's a little bit of a flex going on there from George Scott. It's just a minor, minor flex. You'll notice that even that doesn't say and thus fulfills the prophecy of Joseph Smith. Yeah, it's a
0: little bit of a literary you know, he's he's playing with words a little bit to say in the in the shadow of yeah. right in the
1: shadow of the everlasting hills. <laughs> Again we leave you, Governor Boggs, <laughs> in the shadow of a stake center in Minneapolis. Santa Rosa. Yeah. Steak. yeah. Well, so um you you can see how, you know. And then this, the whole idea of oh, and grass won't grow under. There's actually a, a, an old common, you know, uh, curse that people would have, you know, that would be put upon your grave and things like that. So I don't know how it it, it got to the point where it is now, but like I said, there are anti Mormon subreddits that talk about the very fact that that you know that. Joseph Smith said that there'd be a shadow on his grave and there isn't one. I mean, where did Joseph Smith say this is the question, right? So you get to this point where you you realize, you know, there's a lot of the times when you hear things like that, if you can't find that source readily available on either, you know, the church's website or on the uh, the the Joseph Smith Papers website, then there's a pretty good chance that it's not actually that great a source, even if it is a source. And in this case, it seems to be folklore. Now, in the question that he originally asked, you know, the church just sold that building. Well, now, you know, so now it's not, uh, um, it's no longer in force, right? Or, you know, maybe they baptized him for the dead. So now it doesn't matter that the shadow's not on his grave. It's an interesting thing for Latter-day Saints. We actually have a a long history of wanting horrible things to happen to the people that were our persecutors.
0: And well, what was what was that? There was a there's a popular book about yeah, to what happens, the, the fate
1: of the persecutors of yes. Prophet Joseph Smith. And a lot of people love that book, and they love it because it's like, and this person had this horrible thing happen to them. the The problem is the people that I most want to see horrible things happen to them, which sounds not very Christ-like, but, but also. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's not very Christ-like. Um, those are people that uh, lived long lives. I mean, look, William Law is the one who put together the Nauvoo Expositor. He's a member of the First Presidency who apostatizes and is directly responsible for the actions that lead to Joseph Smith dying. He, he dies an old man right so once people start making the argument of you know and this person is going to suffer oh will they suffer why are we like only having like the minor people suffer not you know it's it's not going to be William Law it's not going to be John C. Bennett it's not going to be you know Philastus Hurlbut he'll live to a nice old age won't be Eber Howe you know It'll, it'll be just some minor person like, oh, yeah, he was one of the people that helped find guns for the people who were at Carthage who shot him. What about the people who actually shot him at Carthage? Oh, no, no, no. They lived they, live long, happy lives. Happy lives. They lived to the fullest extent <laughs> so happy all the time. There's also, and like I said, this is all clouded by the fact that even today anti-Mormons want to accuse Joseph Smith of ordering the, the murder of, of Lilburn Boggs. Now in point of fact, they're going to arrest Rockwell and keep him in jail for nearly a year. And then, and then he, he isn't convicted. He, he's able to, to get away. Right. Um, and then that leads to that, that famous story of him showing up. He actually shows up in Nauvoo on Christmas during the Christmas party. Um, he comes to the door and he's all ragged. It's almost like he'd been in a Missouri prison for a year. And at first the guards guarding the door assume he is a Missourian because of his dress and manners and that he's, that he's a drunk Missourian trying to break in. But in fact, it's it's Porter Rockwell, right? Um, well, not only do we not have good evidence of Joseph Smith saying, oh yeah, yeah, I... I uh, you know i i prophesied that he's going to die early and that there's going to be a a shadow that that casts over his grave and grass will never grow there and on and on and on we actually kind of have the opposite um we, we have it recorded in the manuscript history of the church part of what Joseph gave in a in a talk and he's speaking about what what happened when he was at Dixon Illinois was when these these Missouri you know I don't know what you call them, like bounty hunters. They 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 are claimed to be lawmen from Missouri, but they are um uh there to take Joseph back down to be tried and likely executed for the attempted murder of Boggs when the evidence that they have, I mean, legitimately they find the pistol on the ground. They're like, Oh yeah, that pistol's actually from this guy's shop. And then they say, "Oh yeah, you know who I think thought that that shop, that pistol in that shop was good, Porter Rockwell." And that it's like uh, hearsay on top of the hearsay on top of it. But I mean, look, I mean, could Porter Rockwell have attempted to murder him? Look, it's entirely possible. Um, It's it's not very likely, and it's certainly more unlikely that Joseph Smith is ordering him to do it. At any rate when he is uh, captured by these guys and the people intervene, this is what Joseph says, reflecting back on it. The people of Dixon were ready to take me from my persecutors, and I could have killed them, notwithstanding their pistols. But I had no disposition to kill any man, though my worst enemy, not even Boggs. In fact, he would have more hell to live in reflection of his past crimes Than to die. So, not only do you not have Joseph saying, Oh, yeah, he's going to die an early, horrible, nasty death, and there's going to be a church built to put a, a shadow on his grave. The one place where we do have a good Joseph Smith source talking about Boggs and Boggs' life is that Joseph wants him to live so that for the rest of his life he can reflect on. The fact that thousands of people were driven from his state and dozens of people were murdered because of him. I don't know how much reflecting Boggs was doing, honestly. It seems like not a lot. I will say though, um, this is you know talk about getting into the weeds. About yeah, tomorrow. well, we're we're here. I- you mean because we we're, we're
0: doing a second episode of something that's already in the weeds from what it was we were doing before. So I feel this is on point with where we need to be.
1: I feel like maybe we should call these two episodes Into the Weeds, <laughs> Into the Thick of It. Into the, thick of it, into the L- thick of it with Lilburn Boggs. Into the Thick of It. You know what? That's what we're going to call it. All right. Into and the the then we'll come back to Apostles and Apostates some Sounds other good. time. I'll make a note. Although we did talk about a lot of apostates, we just didn't talk about them enough. Anyway, um Boggs you know as the the article said he was a member of the the Constitutional Convention well um he uh is part of another kind of tragic episode in Latter-day Saint history the the initial governor of California is another Missourian uh you know apparently everyone who lives in Missouri moved to California Um and much much like the Wisconsin Golden Investigator, all of them also apparently moved to California because there weren't any in Wisconsin. But the, he's another person actually who's part of some of Joseph trials in Missouri, uh, and that's uh, Peter Hardeman Burnett. He becomes the first governor of California. Well... There was a plan that was hatched by the Zachary Taylor administration because Zachary Taylor was president in the midst of this huge controversy over the results of the Mexican War. Now, we're going to spend so much time on this, on the premium content, you know, two or three years from now when we get to the Mexican War, right?
0: Yes, which which kind of goes to Anthony's point of not quite finding enough value to pay for it. I
1: feel like Anthony needs to buy it for a month and then tell us if it's not worth it, which he seems to be more than willing to tell us that it's not worth it. Well,
0: anymore. he needs to buy it for a month but accidentally click the payment for the
1: year. Right. Anthony, what we need from you is to accidentally purchase a year subscription to the premium content. What, what we'll learn anyway when we get to that is what one of the major things that actually leads to the American Civil War... I mean, of course slavery is the issue, but there was slavery in the United States for, you know, since the colonial times, since, you know, the the early 1600s you have slaves in the American colonies. So why are you going to war over it in 18 in 1861? Well, the spark that lights that fuse is actually the monumental victory of the Americans over the Mexicans in the Mexican War. I mean, nearly a third of the existing United States is added to the country by the Mexican Cession, and our personal favorite, one of the one of the things we like to drop, Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Um, that's that's how all that area becomes part of of the United States. Well, the the argument over slavery it actually revolves around. Not, I mean, look, there's abolitionists in the North who certainly want slavery ended immediately. But the real arguments leading up to the Civil War are not about slavery in general. It's about whether or not these new territories that had just been captured from Mexico, whether or not they should be open to the settlement of, uh, of slaves. And that's because they basically had already worked out. All of the other land, all of the Louisiana Purchase Area, That was all to be, you know, after Missouri, after the Missouri Compromise, all of that Louisiana Purchase Area, that was to be free forever. Well, there wasn't any other land for slavery to expand to because we'd already settled it by law. And then suddenly you have all of the areas of California, the state, you know, today, as well as Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, um, part of half of Colorado, part of Wyoming, Nevada, all of that comes into the union as territory now they're not broken up into those states yet but all of that that would become those states and you have this whole new argument are these territories open to settlement with people who have slaves and 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 latter-day saints are going to get caught up in this argument because we are living in one of those areas we moved to mexico we left the country and then the borders of the country caught us as soon as we ran away from them. And, and so it becomes a question again. So Zachary Taylor has this ingenious plan. Now, Zachary Taylor owns slaves. Uh, he is a slave owner, uh, he li- you know, lives in Louisiana. He, he is not a, a non-slaveholder. Uh, he has no problem with the expansion of slavery. But he's first and foremost a nationalist. He's, you know, the great general, the the hero of Buena Vista, the the great general of the Mexican War. He he doesn't think that it's worth splitting the nation apart to argue of whether or not there should be slavery in somewhere like Arizona. Like he'd been there, and he was like, "We're not growing anything here. There's no water unless we're, you know, unless you're trying to harvest cacti." there's nothing that's going to roar. Now, in point of fact, he was totally wrong as we now have a legion of Arizona listeners sending us emails right now before you hit send on the angrily typed email. Taylor completely misjudged it. He had no conception of how, how easily they could irrigate and that, of course, Arizona becomes one of the, the great agricultural states in, in the union. It probably wouldn't have done that back then, because you needed much more modern irrigation and pumping techniques. Um, But at any rate, the reason why it's an issue is you have this vast area that are, they're going to become territories of the United States. Why is that a problem? Because territories are under the purview of the Congress, right? the United States Congress gets to decide whether or not they are free or slave. And it's the argument of whether or not the Congress decides whether or not they're free or slave that is leading to all of this, you know, animosity and anger. So Taylor's idea is, what if we bypassed the territorial stage altogether? What if we took all of what is today Nevada, Arizona, well, part of Arizona, um, and, and Utah, and part of Colorado, part of Wyoming. What if we took all of that and we made one gigantic California? We made one gigantic state out of it, and then we made another gigantic state out of what, you know, the New Mexico, Arizona area. If they just came in as states, then the Congress couldn't argue about whether or not they should be free or slave territories because everyone acknowledges that states have the right to choose whether they're free or slave. Now, the problem, of course, is in order to get people on board with this, you need people in the two major population centers of those territories to agree to it. So Taylor dispatches a secret emissary, isn't this fun?
0: This is fun. And by secret, do you mean John C. Bennett's secret, or does I, he, or I, do he I tells mean, a bunch of people no, yeah, in, in no, the a, hair salon? Yeah. So, by th- the way, we we need we we do get great uh, ideas for t shirts. We I think we're eventually going to be doing this where we get t shirt designs and ideas. We need a t shirt of John C. Bennett with his head in one of those 1950 hair dryers,
1: yeah, where he says, I'll, "I'll tell you what what <laughs> Porter Rockwell told me. I'll tell you that." Yeah. Um, so, so, but it is a secret. Yeah, oh it's an actual secret. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he's trying to affect this, making it look like the federal government isn't affecting it. So what he wants is the California Constitution, because California's already, you know, the part of California that's a state today is already urging a a state convention because there's because it's right after the the huge gold rush. So there's over a hundred thousand people in the area uh, on the west coast of California. But technically, in that territory, there's another large population center, and that is Salt Lake, where all the Latter-day Saints have gone. So Taylor sends this secret emissary to go meet with the Mormons to see if they would be willing to go along with being part of this mega-California. To make essentially almost all of the territory taken from Mexico in the war one giant state called California, and if we went along with it, then he could put it into practice. And you know the emissary says, you know, look, there, read the arguments that are going on in Congress right now. This this could tear our nation apart. Meets with Brigham Young, and Brigham Young says. Wow, you know, you're asking a lot. We 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 just got free of being a part of the United States. You're asking us to join ourselves to California, and Brigham Young said, "Okay, we'll do it." Uh, again, you know, the the terribly traitorous Brigham Young, right? Saying, "Okay, we'll do it," and sends emissaries to California to uh, go participate in their constitutional convention. Now Taylor had sent another emissary to the other part of what is today California, to try to tell them on the same thing, hey, we need to make this one giant state, this whole area one giant state. Well, that emissary landed on the ground, realized how much impetus there was to create their own state government, and instead of waiting to find out what the other emissary to the Mormons said, immediately pushed forward plans for a state convention, hoping that they would pick him as the senator. So he just totally essentially threw Taylor's plans out the window for his own again. I know it's hard to believe that a politician would dishonorably do something in order to advance their own political career. But this is the 19th century where a politician is willing to lie, where they're willing to, 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 to completely go against uh, other agreements and arrangements they've already made in order to advance their political career. It's it's, it's hard to look at history sometimes. It's difficult. Um, well, that Constitutional Convention, several of the people that are in it, like Lilburn Boggs and Peter Burnett, who ends up being the president, what do you think they think about the idea of including all of the Mormons in their state? What, what do you think they think of that?
0: I think they were against it.
1: Yeah, well, here's the thing. They create their constitutional convention, and then they elect all of their... It's a provisional election. You elect, this is who our governor will be if Congress approves our constitution. Uh, This is who our senators will be if Congress approves our constitution. This is who our congressmen will be, right? So they're essentially like shadow senators and shadow governors. They aren't actual governors yet, but they will be if Congress approves their state petition. Well these people have already had their election because they didn't wait for the Utah emissary. So now the Mormons go meet with the governor who will be the governor and they have to convince him, Peter Burnett, hey, I know you've already been elected and you're going to be a governor and it's what you already wanted to be. We need you to rescind that, recall the Constitutional Convention so that we can all become a giant state because that's what Zachary Taylor wanted anyway. Surprisingly, the people who've already been elected don't want to give up the fact that they've been elected, especially given the fact that a bunch of the new voters will be people who know that they're from Missouri and aren't terribly happy about them. So they don't redo the, the convention. And in fact, um, you know, California comes in with the state boundaries that it has now, all part of the um, Compromise of 1850, which again, you can learn more of. Maybe on this podcast someday.
0: We've been talking about the Stamp Act on the premium side for about three months. So yeah, I we're,
1: we're <laughs> I think we're at the towns and duties. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're 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 rapidly approaching the Boston <laughs> Tea Party. We're thinking about it.
0: That's right. Yeah. So so yes, the, the compromise of eighteen fifty is a bit out.
1: Yeah, it's it's a bit out outside. Anyway, um we don't have record of, of, of what Boggs is saying about this in these meetings, but obviously he's not exactly a huge fan of bringing the entire Mormon community back into his state. And of course, it you know, so the whole thing falls apart. And then you do have the arguments over the territories that they didn't want to have. And I'm not saying it would have prevented the coming of the American Civil War, but I am saying it's a little, aspect, little known aspect of Latter-day Saint history that we were we were part of this attempted solution when it comes to these kinds of folklore things and we get these kinds of questions quite a bit you know um there are people who say things like oh i my you know mission president told me that he was told by somebody that absolutely this is what happened um you know that Boggs, you know he, that that he was that joseph prophesied that that church would overshadow his grave and grass would never grow on it. And he'd die an early death, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. We always, it's always good to just take a pause. And, and again, I know those kinds of things, they're, they're almost like proofs, right? So we like them. So we like to say, you know, uh, do we know that this is exactly the the, the floorboard that, that Joseph Smith walked across, or has this been a replacement? I mean, that it kind of makes us feel like we're closer to the events, and then we're always looking for secular proofs of the prophetic mission of Joseph Smith. At the same time, it's important to remember that it's only through the Holy Spirit that you can know that Joseph Smith is a prophet. It's cool to learn tidbits and facts. It's cool to learn all about the succession if we ever decide to actually talk about it. But the reality is the only way you can know the truth about religious things is through the Holy Spirit. And and we can learn things that help, you know, make our testimony stronger, that help us understand how things happened in the past. You know, the, the entire point of this podcast is to help try to answer questions and help people strengthen their testimonies as they learn about things in the past. And not everything in the past is great, but at least you can understand what really happened in the past as opposed to what someone on, on some YouTube channel talking about the fourth feather dropping is Is claiming happened in the past, so I really appreciate the question. I know it took a little while to get to it because we covered some different things, like John C. Bennett, who I hate, and (laughs) uh, I I think do I have to say that every time I say his name? I I think moving
0: forward, just saying his name, it's implied that you hate him.
1: It's kind of like uh, uh, you know, after the the Second Punic War. Yes, are of you, course. Are you following me? Yes, of course. Yeah, this is the second one. The, yeah, I, not to be confused with the first Punic War.
0: Yeah, that's so. That's that's where the confusion was. I think. Yeah, you were yeah. I feel Punic. like
1: Richard immediately jumped to the second Punic War, uh, and and or the first. The and first. Because I always, I, like I always jump to the fault. first. Yeah, I mean, I always jump to the first like, Punic War. I, I you know, Hamilcar Barca, is uh, one of your one of your heroes. I think.
0: Yes. Yeah. See, I I thought that you were going to go to the third Punic War. Um, but I don't know. You upset me a little bit. I thought perhaps this was going somewhere toward the destruction, the sacking of Carthage, the destruction well, of Carthage. Well, it has
1: something to do with Carthage. Okay. Because I was going to say, you know, every time I say John C. Bennett, I'm going to say that I that I hate him. Right. Right. Uh, it reminded me in that moment of, of Cato the Elder.
0: Oh, of course.
1: You've read a lot of Cato oh, the Elder. Oh my gosh, yeah. so much of Cato he the Elder. He has so much entrepreneurial uh, spirit about him. Uh, this Roman senator... Uh, Cato the Elder, uh, after the Second Punic War, mm-hmm. which is when, that's the one with Hannibal. And I don't mean Hannibal Lecter. No, Hannibal, the the uh, great Carthaginian general. Uh, in fact, the term Punic is, it, you're like, why do you call it the Punic War if it's Rome versus Carthage? It's because that is the Roman you know, derivation of the term Phoenician. And Carthage is a Phoenician colony, so the same Phoenicians that are there in, uh, you're following me? Yeah. No this this is actually uh, we've received several
0: emails. Several about
1: emails about the Punic Wars. The, the, where, well, the
0: thirty the third Punic War and the first Punic War, but I feel like the second Punic War that was the, where we needed to help. Yeah, we yeah. needed to help
1: the listener. Yeah, that's Anyway, right. um, after the second Punic War, Carthage loses nearly almost all of its overseas colonies, and it's really just reduced to this kind of rump state in in North Africa. Carthage is is in what is today uh, Tunisia, right? Um, And Cato the Elder, every single time he gave a speech, he would end every speech with, and furthermore, I believe Carthage should be destroyed. So he just kept pushing for the actual destruction of Carthage, rather than just Carthage in this kind of reduced, humiliated state. And eventually, as you well know, because you were in the, third Punic, the third Punic War, they will uh, go and destroy. Um, they will destroy uh, Carthage, um, and guess who destroys Carthage? Scipio. Scipio Africanus. That's how he gets the name Africanus because he destroys Carthage. And I've always had a tender spot in my heart for the town of Scipio in. In Utah. It makes me smile every time I drive by. Because I don't know that they named the town Scipio because Scipio destroyed Carthage.
0: I kind of feel like they knew. It's
1: folklore that I don't want to find out. I want to believe that they named the town that because Scipio was the destroyer of Carthage. And therefore, Carthage must be destroyed. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us this week. And we will possibly get back on track with Apostles and Apostates Neck Week. But we don't know. Did I just say Neck Week?
0: Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Well, at the end of July, here in the Standard Truth Podcast is called Neck Week.
1: <laughs> well, it's because there's so many potato salads. Your, your neck is going to get bigger. Thank you so much. We'll join you. Uh, hope I hope you can join us. <laughs> <laughs> we hope that Garrett recovers
0: from his stroke and the burnt toast that he's smelling right now. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: (laughs) Thank you again. Thank you for listening to
0: the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com.
1: Until next time,